Section twelve of the Book of Sir Marco Polo, the Venetian, concerning the kingdoms and marvels of the East, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Book of Sir Marco Polo, the Venetian, concerning the kingdoms and marvels of the East, Volume two by rusticello da pisa translated by henry yule book third chapters eleven to fifteen chapter eleven of the kingdoms of lambri and fansur when you leave that kingdom you come to another which is called lambri the people are idolaters and call themselves the subjects of the great khan they have plenty of camphor and all sorts of other spices they also have brazil in great quantities this they sow and when it is grown to the size of a small shoot they take it up and transplant it then they let it grow for three years after which they tear it up by the root you must know that messer marco polo aforesaid brought some seed of the brazil such as they sow to venice with him and had it sown there but never a thing came up and i fancy it was because the climate was too cold now you must know that in this kingdom of lambri there are men with tails these tails are of a palm in length and have no hair on them these people live in the mountains and are a kind of wild men their tails are about the thickness of a dog's there are also plenty of unicorns in that country and abundance of game in birds and beasts now then i have told you about the kingdom of lambri you then come to another kingdom which is called fansor the people are idolaters and also call themselves subjects of the great khan and understand they are still on the same island that i have been telling you of in this kingdom of fansor grows the best camphor in the world called camphora fansuri it is so fine that it sells for its weight in fine gold the people have no wheat but have rice which they eat with milk and flesh they also have wine from trees much as i have told you of and i will tell you another great marvel they have a kind of trees that produce flour and excellent flour it is for food these trees are very tall and thick but have a very thin bark and inside the bark they are crammed with flour and i tell you that messer marco polo who witnessed all this related how he and his party did sundry times partake of this flour made into bread and found it excellent there is now no more to relate for out of those eight kingdoms we have told you about six that lie at this side of the island i shall tell you nothing about the other two kingdoms that are at the other side of the island for the said messer marco polo never was there howbeit we have told you about the greater part of this island of the lesser java so now we will quit it and i will tell you of a very small island that is called guanistipola chapter twelve concerning the island of necuvran when you leave the island of java the less and the kingdom of lambri you sail north about a hundred and fifty miles and then you come to two islands one of which is called necuvaran 
in this island they have no king nor chief but live like beasts and i tell you they go all naked both men and women and do not use the slightest covering of any kind they are idolaters their woods are all of noble and valuable kinds of trees such as red sanders and indian nut and cloves and brazil and sundry other good spices there is nothing else worth relating and so we will go on and i will tell you of an island called angamanain chapter thirteen concerning the island of angamanain angamanain is a very large island the people are without a king and are idolaters and no better than wild beasts and i assure you all the men of this island of angamanain have heads like dogs and teeth and eyes likewise in fact in the face they are all just like big mastiff dogs they have a quantity of spices but they are the most cruel generation and eat everybody that they can catch if not of their own race they live on flesh and rice and milk and have fruits different from any of ours now that i have told you about this race of people as indeed it was highly proper to do in this our book i will go on to tell you about an island called Silan, as you shall hear chapter fourteen concerning the island of Silan. when you leave the island of agamanain and sail about a thousand miles in a direction a little south of west you come to the island of Silan, which is in good sooth the best island of its size in the world you must know that it has a compass of two thousand four hundred miles but in old times it was greater still for it then had a circuit of about three thousand six hundred miles as you find in the charts of the mariners of those seas but the north wind there blows with such strength that it has caused the sea to submerge a large part of the island and that is the reason why it is not so big now as it used to be for you must know that on the side where the north wind strikes the island is very low and flat insomuch that in approaching on board ship from the high seas you do not see the land till you are right upon it now i will tell you all about this island they have a king there whom they call sendermain and are tributary to nobody the people are idolaters and go quite naked except that they cover the middle they have no wheat but have rice and sesame of which they make their oil they live on flesh and milk and have tree wine such as i have told you of and they have brazil wood much the best in the world now i will quit these particulars and tell you of the most precious article that exists in the world you must know that rubies are found in this island and in no other country in the world but this they find there also sapphires and topazes and amethysts and many other stones of price and the king of this island possesses a ruby which is the finest and biggest in the world i will tell you what it is like it is about a palm in length and as thick as a man's arm to look at it is the most resplendent object upon earth it is quite free from flaw and as red as fire its value is so great that a price for it in money could hardly be named at all you must know that the great khan sent an embassy and begged the king as a favor greatly desired by him to sell him this ruby 
offering to give for it the ransom of a city or in fact what the king would but the king replied that on no account whatever would he sell it for it had come to him from his ancestors the people of Ceylon are no soldiers but poor cowardly creatures and when they have need of soldiers they get saracen troops from foreign parts chapter fifteen the same continued the history of sagamoni borcan and the beginning of idolatry furthermore you must know that in this island of Ceylon there is an exceeding high mountain it rises right up so steep and precipitous that no one could ascend it were it not that they have taken and fixed to it several great and massive iron chains so disposed that by help of these men are able to mount to the top and i tell you they say that on this mountain is the sepulchre of adam our first parent at least that is what the saracens say but the idolaters say that it is the sepulchre of sagamoni borcan before whose time there were no idols they hold him to have been the best of men a great saint in fact according to their fashion and the first in whose name idols were made he was the son as the story goes of a great and wealthy king and he was of such unholy temper that he would never listen to any worldly talk nor would he consent to be king and when the father saw that his son would not be king nor yet take any part in affairs he took it sorely to heart at first he tried to tempt him with great promises offering to crown him king and to render all authority into his hands the son however would none of his offers so the father was in great trouble and all the more that he had no other son but him to whom he might bequeath the kingdom at his own death so after taking thought on the matter the king caused a great palace to be built and placed his son therein and caused him to be waited on there by a number of maidens the most beautiful that could anywhere be found and he ordered them to divert themselves with the prince night and day and to sing and dance before him and so to draw his heart towards worldly enjoyments but was all of no avail for none of those maidens could ever tempt the king's son to any wantonness and he only abode the firmer in his chastity leading a most holy life after their manner thereof and i assure you he was so staid a youth that he had never gone out of the palace and thus he had never seen a dead man nor any one who was not hale and sound for the father never allowed any man that was aged or infirm to come into his presence it came to pass however one day that the young gentleman took a ride and by the roadside he beheld a dead man the sight dismayed him greatly as he had never seen such a sight before incontinently he demanded of those who were with him what thing that was and then they told him it was a dead man how then quoth the king's son do all men die yea forsooth said they whereupon the young gentleman said never a word but rode on right pensively and after he had ridden a good way he fell in with a very aged man who could no longer walk and had not a tooth in his head having lost all because of his great age and when the king's son beheld this old man he asked what that might mean and wherefore the man could not walk those who were with him replied 
that it was through old age the man could walk no longer and had lost all his teeth and so when the king's son had thus learned about the dead man and about the aged man he turned back to his palace and said to himself that he would abide no longer in this evil world but would go in search of him who dieth not and who had created him so what did he one night but take his departure from the palace privily and betake himself to certain lofty and pathless mountains and there he did abide leading a life of great hardship and sanctity and keeping great abstinence just as if he had been a christian indeed if he had but been so he would have been a great saint of our lord jesus christ so good and pure was the life he led and when he died they found his body and brought it to his father and when his father saw dead before him that son whom he loved better than himself he was near going distraught with sorrow and he caused an image in the similitude of his son to be wrought in gold and precious stones and caused all his people to adore it and they all declared him to be a god and so they still say they tell me moreover that he hath died fourscore and four times the first time he died as a man and came to life again as an ox and then he died as an ox and came to life again as a horse and so on until he had died fourscore and four times and every time he became some kind of animal but when he died the eighty-fourth time they say he became a god and they do hold him for the greatest of all their gods and they tell that the aforesaid image of him was the first idol that the idolaters ever had and from that they have originated all other idols and this befell in the island of Ceylon in india the idolaters came thither on pilgrimage from very long distances and with very great devotion just as christians go to the shrine of messer st james in galicia and they maintain that the monument on the mountain is that of the king's son according to the story i have been telling you and that the teeth and the hair and the dish that are there were those of the same king's son whose name was sogamoni borcan or sogamoni the saint but the saracens also come thither on pilgrimage in great numbers and they say that it is the sepulchre of adam our first father and that the teeth and the hair and the dish were those of adam whose they were in truth god knoweth howbeit according to the holy scripture of our church the sepulchre of adam is not in that part of the world now it befell that the great khan heard how on that mountain there was the sepulchre of our first father adam and that some of his hair and of his teeth and the dish from which he used to eat were still preserved there so he thought he would get hold of them somehow or other and dispatched a great embassy for the purpose in the year of christ twelve eighty four the ambassadors with a great company travelled on by sea and by land until they arrived at the island of Ceylon, and presented themselves before the king and they were so urgent with him that they succeeded in getting two of the grinder teeth which were passing great and thick and they also got some of the hair and the dish from which that personage used to eat which is of a very beautiful green porphyry and when the great khan's ambassadors had attained the object for which they had come they were greatly rejoiced and returned to their lord 
and when they drew near to the great city of Cambaluc, where the great Khan was staying, they sent him word that they had brought back that for which he had sent them. On learning this, the great Khan was passing glad, and ordered all the ecclesiastics and others to go forth to meet those relics, which he was led to believe were those of Adam. And why should I make a long story of it? In sooth, the whole population of Cambaluc went forth to meet those relics, and the ecclesiastics took them over and carried them to the great Khan, who received them with great joy and reverence. And they find it written in their scriptures that the virtue of that dish is such that if food for one man be put therein, it shall become enough for five men. And the great Khan averred that he had proved the thing and found that it was really true. So now you have heard how the great Khan came by those relics, and a mighty great treasure it did cost him, the relics being, according to the idolaters, those of the king's son. End of section 12